Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. And welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined by two friends. My childhood friend, Chris Dow. Oh, you have to laugh when you fall off a sofa. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Oh, you have to laugh when you fall off a bike. And we're discussing our all-time top 100 video games. <laughs> Announcement! Announcement! Before we begin the episode proper, we just wanted to draw your attention to some of the ways you can enjoy more of the content we're creating. Firstly, we have a YouTube channel. Head on over to YouTube, search for Our Three Cents Podcast, and you can find some cracking videos like the Hard Drop series that Chris has been making, covering some of the more niche Tetris-alike games from the annals of time. And we've just uploaded our first Our Three Cents approved video, a celebration of Fantasy Life, which was the first game to feature on all three of our lists. Please check it out, subscribe, as we've got much more content coming all the time. Secondly, we also have a Patreon page where you can pledge your support to the podcast in exchange for some amazing perks, including hilarious oh, deleted scenes and outtakes, <laughs> full bonus episodes that we've recorded on DLC content and the very best boss battles we've conquered, and so much more. Head over to patreon.com forward slash hour three cents to see what else is on offer and please pledge away. So, we have our number 40s this week. That means we're 60 40. games deep, which is ridiculous. But before we dive into our rankings, we have a very exciting week in the quiz. For this week Roll is Rollover Week. Yeah. Euro millions. With both of your failures <laughs> to know what the answer to last week's question was, I decided to roll the point over to this week instead. So, this week is worth two points and is a is a, well, it's a very good opportunity for Minty to recover a couple of points or Chris to extend his lead so we shall see in the popular first person shoot 'em up Doom the most powerful gun in the BFG game BFG. Oh, Minty was straight oh, in there you didn't even need the multiple choices and <laughs> yeah fair play that's two points for Minty well done he's done it oh <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> you are now trailing by only two points. The score is 31 29 to Chris. So, uh, you're now yeah, losing wow. less. Congratulations. <laughs> I was winning by like five at some point, wasn't I? Yeah, you were. Look what happened. And then I got cocksure over World of Warcraft, forgot that Tomb Raider was yeah. about jumping, and now just fucked up a question on Doom as well. <laughs> oh, well. These things happen, mate. Worst things happen at sea. Just uh, <laughs> think of that. Scurvy. So, what have we been playing this week? Mm <laughs> <laughs> Minty, what have you been playing this week? Well, sorry, I'm just having a celebratory Altoid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about um, what I've been playing this week because I bet you two are going to talk about Animal Crossing and I bet you were thinking, oh, I've been playing Animal Crossing but I've also been playing Doom 64 as a palate cleanser. Well, to that I say you're wrong. Oh, cease and desist. <laughs> I booted up the demo for Bravely Default 2. Ah, yes. What did ah. you think? Wow. It's really great. I'm having a really nice time with it. I haven't played a lot of demos, which is strange because uh, I'm poor. Uh, but... <laughs> Sorry, that's not a thing to laugh at. <laughs> no, I <know>. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a nervous laughter. <laughs> <laughs> So I haven't played a lot of demos, so I don't know if this is like something new that's been done or it's something that lots of people have done, but it opens up with a screen that says, this is the demo. 
so we've created a brand new sort of side chapter uh, to give you a little feel for what the game's about if you haven't played it before it'll take you through all the mechanics and also it's a little bit harder than what the game will be so that if you're struggling then rest assured this is the hardest the game will ever be for you okay and i thought that's 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 really cool actually so naturally i did what any uh, anybody would do and just I don't know, grind for two hours, basically. <laughs> like a year seven disco. <laughs> <laughs> oh, enough oh. gel in your hair to drown a horse. Ben Sherman. Pressed. Oh, yeah. I remember going to one of the discos when I was probably year eight, maybe, at school. Uh, and I had a T-shirt that had Einstein's face on it that glowed in the dark <laughs> that I'd chosen to wear. Uh, and everyone else was very slick and, and cool. And I turned up and I brought plastic pistols that like clicked when you shot them. <laughs> and I remember one of, our, one of our teachers at the door was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> My goodness. My goodness. I mean, that is a left field choice. Did you have any sort of romantic success that evening? Uh, I can't imagine I did. I, I was, was this what... when you were a student or a teacher, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, somebody was going to ask. We might as well uh, give you a chance to respond. I mean, it was as a student, but I think in future, if I ever have to chaperone a disco, I'm going to put out the T-shirt again. Please do. Please do. Maybe leave the guns at home. They, they don't go down so well in school these days. The last school disco I went to was a Halloween disco in year seven. I think the deputy head of the year had one of those swords that you sort of held upside down and it filled with blood. Oh. oh, and then that shit was Halloween gold. I was guilty of the sin of coveting that day. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> Halloween is a time for sin. Yeah, but it leaked, and he was oh. like, "Check oh, out no. this sword," and he shook it, and it squirted like blood everywhere. And we were like, "Oh, maybe Sir should get a detention." <laughs> yeah, I think that's the the low point of my entire life. That, that remark. <laughs> <laughs> But bravely default, on the other hand. Mm. <laughs> one, one of the absolute highs. Yeah, I mean, it's really great. Like, I, I didn't realise the, the battle point mechanic from Octopath Traveller was either taken from the Bravely Default series or mm. has now been used in the Bravely Default series. Because I haven't played either of the first two, it feels like a lovely sort of step up from Octopath Traveler. Mm. Instead of being like just sort of pixel art and really, really gorgeous backgrounds, it's like picture book Octopath Traveler. Yeah, I mean, I I downloaded it and played it myself when it when it was when the demo came out, and I think the the issue I had with it is that it didn't feel that different to Octopath. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'd put in a lot of hours into Octopath Traveler and had a wonderful, fulfilling experience. And to be honest, if I was going to, if I want that experience, I, I'm, I'm less likely to shell out for a new game than just replay through Octopath Traveler again, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but it does, it does look lovely and it does look, you know, really nice. But like you, I, I haven't played Bravely Default or Bravely Second, so the series doesn't mean as much to me yeah for me it's got all the hallmarks of the good square enix jrpg like it opens up with the with the cutscene that says uh, the four elemental crystals have been stolen and here's a team of four heroes that need to bring them back like that's a tale as old as time and then they have jobs and it's fantastic i've already mastered freelancer and everybody's sub job class so i'm gonna i'm gonna put this demo over my knee as it were 
Really? <laughs> Give it a darn good seeing to. Yes, ruddy good seeing to. <laughs> In terms of getting my RPG fix, I'm I'm holding out for Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, which is coming out in a couple of weeks. So I oh yes, think that'll 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 see me right. <laughs> I have been playing this week some many games, some many many games. I had my Friday night retro gaming night. We played Worms Armageddon again, which was. An absolute joy, and I—I I mean, I genuinely can't believe how well it holds up. And it's it great. plays t- like a like a modern game, and it was—it was great to play it with some some people I knew and some people I didn't know. Especially filled me with glee when I heard a stranger say, in all seriousness, "Right, the wind is in your favour. You should be able to get the grenade over the Eiffel Tower to the left of Tony Banks." <laughs> Were you playing with the Genesis characters again? Always. <laughs> We also had another good blast on Camp Strike, and my goodness, am I not as good as most people at that game? We did, we, we we did a really good team battle setup, which was an arms race. So you didn't actually control what weapon you had; it was dictated by how many people you'd killed, and you would then like ascend up a ladder of weapons. So like every two kills you got, I think, meant that you got a new weapon all the way up to the top of the ladder when you get the golden knife I think it is and then you if you get like two kills with that then you win it was it was it's really really cool but also very tough for someone like me who was criminally out of practice <laughs> carried on playing a bit of Tomb Raider Anniversary almost completed that now I have finished the first super world in Mario Maker 2 I'm that excited. will become Super Jonathan Brothers whatever it's <laughs> it'll be called and I've started making this started work on the second world today so I'm yeah and it's great I'm having such a nice time making levels on that it's really really good fun obviously playing Animal Crossing I have started the epic task of gathering my rocks together into a little cluster (laughs) which has meant me placing mannequins all over my island to block off places where rocks could spawn and the beauty of placing mannequins is that if you delete that design from your design creator then it deletes all of the mannequins in one go so it means I don't have to go around and like clear clear up after myself once that's done I didn't know that worked like that but unfortunately I am still in the process where I'm every day I'm finding out places i haven't masked off <laughs> so uh so i'm yet to have i'm yet to have have one spawn in the right place yet so but fingers crossed this time next week i'll have six rocks all neatly arranged next to my solar panels and my utility pole it's gonna be great <laughs> and <laughs> i've decided to tone back on turnip baroning although i am still determined to get the 10 million bells profit nookmile achievement so i figured that i needed about three million bells profit so i spent seven million bells on turnips in the hope that i get a turnip price of about 150 bells per turnip in my town and i can sell them legit without having to go on the turnip exchange and and get the profit i need but it does mean that at the moment my island well like a good nudist beach my shores are absolutely riddled with nips everywhere (laughs) (laughs) but then yeah in terms of other games i also picked up streets of rage 4 which has been really good fun I know that you're waiting on the physical edition to arrive, Chris, before you, you play I it, am. but I think you're going to be waiting for quite some time. I, I will be. It's, it's a shame because you could be enjoying it now, but you will be enjoying it surely whenever you do get it, because it's it's fantastic. It feels just like the original. It looks incredible with the most gorgeous art 
like it just looks stunning there's a nice couple of modern additions in terms of the fighting mechanics which is quite good i'm still finding it quite difficult to judge like what line i'm fighting on yeah uh, which is the problem i had in the original game and it's it's quite unforgiving so you really do need to be like pretty much dead on with an enemy to be able to fight them which like i say it's just like the original but i reckon with a bit of practice i be able to crack that how about you, Chris? What have you played this week? I have played a bit of Animal Crossing, obviously. It's just like a, a daily thing now. I think it's getting to the stage where I'm not having like six hour sessions anymore, which is nice. Like like the first month of Animal Crossing is, is always like this mad dash to try and do as much as possible every day. And it's changed to the game that it becomes for everyone eventually where you sort of play it for little chunks here and there and it's just a nice thing to pass a bit of time yeah so i i have now got to what is i guess like the end game with the island designer so i'm starting to actually organize my stuff properly lovely and that's been fun like each evening just like spend an hour make a little waterfall do some cliff management build a bridge you know the the little bits and pieces but aside from that in in an effort to try and break out of the sort of lockdown malaise that i mentioned last week I, i tried to like finish a few games i knew i was basically near the end of and I picked up my Vita again for the first time in a while oh. and thought I'd try to sort of clear a bit of digital space for my memory card. Like I had a lot of games that were mostly finished that had just kind of sat there. And a lot of them happened to be games that had all been ported to the handheld by one studio called Ratalika. Now, I remember picking these up originally. Like I, I picked up a lot of these titles because essentially Ratalika made a name for themselves by taking PC games, like little indie games, and bringing them to consoles like the Switch or the Vita or the PS4 or whatever. But in the majority of cases, they then got a real name for themselves by essentially putting very easy trophy lists into these games. Huh. And I'm sure I picked up a lot of these when they were cheap, just so I could be like, oh, got myself a platinum trophy in 20 minutes and things like that. And looking back at them on my home screen, like I hadn't deleted them because I didn't feel like I'd actually beaten it even, even though I had the, the trophies. So I, I sort of went back and tried to beat them properly and played through a game called League of Evil, which is sort of like a budget Super Meat Boy that was quite fun. Like it's, it's decently responsive. It's, it's quite well designed. That was quite fun. I played through a game called Gravity Duck, which is a real game, not, not like Seagull Officer. <laughs> but it's, it's one that's inspired, I think, by if you've ever played VVV, VVV, that game. Oh, yeah. Or the old Flash game Gravity Guy, if you ever played that on Newgrounds. So it's about like flipping, flipping gravity as you go. I played through another little game called Football Game, which was like a short atmospheric point and click game that was was reasonably fun. And also a game called Siberian, which is like a 2D action game that's got sort of rhythmic combat and, and it's quite challenging actually. But I think what was, I don't know, what's frustrating about the whole thing is that Rattalaker, by, by porting these games over in this way with the trophies, are really devaluing loads of quite good games and like I'm, I'm completely guilty here because I had bought them for that reason to just like blast through and then, then put in the bin kind of thing. But I think the completing them this week has basically shown me that there's a lot of decent experiences that people are never going to see. And like none of them are super long. I think the, the longest one, League of Evil, probably took three or four hours and the others were kind of like an hour or so each. Yeah. But I can't imagine being one of the original developers being approached by Ratalaika to say, like, oh, can we bring that game over to the PlayStation? And then me being like super excited as the developer thinking, oh, we've made it, we've made it, we're going to be on a proper console. And then only really ever seeing my game then in, in like a quickest platinum list on YouTube. So I, I think it's just really sad. Yeah. And like, I, I feel like I should actively apologize. <laughs> and like in, in the last few years, I've bought almost everything on the Switch. So this is less and less of a problem. But generally, I'd recommend a lot of, of the catalog that these guys have ported. So all power to them to have supported the Vita whilst Sony has not. But I think, yeah, it, it would just be nice if, if you do want to play any of these games, try and pick it up on, on something like the Switch, because then at least you're playing it for the game as opposed to the kind of meta trophy game in the background. 
So that's my uh, my penance for the week, finishing some games that I uh, <laughs> I didn't really give proper time to originally. Oh, nice. Well, it's, it's good to be able to check some things off your list. Shall we move on to the rankings? Or oh, go on yes. then. Starting this week, we have my game. Mm. Do we? 40 weeks ago, I talked about the wonderful little farming slash life sim, which was Harvest Moon on the original Game Boy. I remember watching Chris playing it in the Year 7 form room under the watchful eye of our Irish form tutor, Mr Thorne, and I was really taken with emulating that way of life on my little handheld machine, and I I loved it. I loved that game. And I spoke in that episode back then that I was was quite tentative to embrace any future Harvest Moon games because of all the features they'd added in the game that I felt diluted the experience, which obviously was, was quite unfair. So fast forward a whole bunch of years, and I was ready to embrace a farming sim again. Now, whilst I wasn't taken with the increasing dimensions and resolutions of the Harvest Moon series, I was entirely enraptured with the gorgeous sprite work in the 2D indie game Stardew Stardew Valley. Valley. Stardew Valley. (laughs) Now, Stardew Valley looked like Harvest Moon looked on the Game Boy Color. It had the same top-down perspective, the same, like, two frames of running animation, the same way of laying out your crops, expanding your house, having a pet, riding your horse, but, I mean, my goodness, was that experience refined and developed in, I mean, just so many ways so not only were there all the seasoned crops and fruits and flowers you could grow and animals that you could have and like harvest meat and milk and eggs from and breed there was also like a whole town to explore loads of residents who had little quests for you you could even start a relationship with one of them and get married then there was like a quarry and you could mine for materials for crafting decorations and furniture for your house and more advanced tools and there was a cave full of monsters that you had to fight your way down through its procedurally generated levels to get like rare loot and money and more materials to craft more cool stuff you could also stumble across rare artifacts that you could uh, donate to the museum. There was a forest to forage wild ingredients from. There was a wizard who could teach you spells. There was a sewer where some mysterious merchant dwelled. There was a secret glade that housed some rare fish. Speaking of fishing, there was loads of fish to find that changed with the seasons. And also a handful of incredibly rare legendary fish that you could find. Big fish, small fish. There was a whole fish. extra area in the desert that you could go to with like a hard the dungeon to conquer you could also build a slime house to grow slime monsters you could even get a dinosaur egg and have a dinosaur i mean i i still don't feel like i've scratched the surface in mentioning all of its features it it felt truly endless in terms of of what you could do it is quite the brimming experience so every day you woke up in the game there was always a whole bunch of stuff you could do and if you got a bit bored doing one thing you could try something else so if you got a bit fed up of watering your tomatoes you could craft something to tap some syrup from a maple tree or if you got bored doing some fishing you could craft some crab pots and harvest some shellfish and some shells and stuff and and time passed at a nice pace in the game it wasn't as slow pace as say something like animal crossing which goes in real time and it wasn't too fast that you felt like you were you were being rushed you were a little bit dictated by your stamina bar so you could only perform like so many actions which is mostly problematic in the opening of the game when you're trying to like clear all your land of weeds and rocks and unwanted trees but it was always fun trying to sort of manage your stamina when fighting through the caves you had to sort of gamble a bit with how much stamina you had left and how much of the day was left as well with with every floor you chose to tackle you know would you be able to get one more gemstone before the the clock hit 2am and you passed out you know would you bank on there only being a couple of enemies on the next floor because you only had the stamina 
left to swing your sword a handful of times before you you blacked out. Very exciting stuff. Very exciting. And I got caught out a lot. So many times I'd be like, right, no, I can definitely make it. And I'd like, I'd, I'd get out of the mine at like 20 to 2 <laughs> and forget that it was going to take me more than 20 minutes of game time to actually get back to my house. And I'd like jump in the little mine cart and be like, oh, I've got to get there. And then I'd just like pass out like on my front doorstep and um, and well, just let everyone down, mainly myself. Because <laughs> of the pace of this game, it, it's also incredibly addictive. So unlike Animal Crossing, when you've sort of finished your daily tasks, you can sort of put it down until the next day. Like you were saying earlier, Chris, you sort yeah. of spend an hour or two doing your little regular routine and, and, and that's nice and that's enough. Whereas Stardew Valley, when you finished all your chores, you could go to bed and crack on with the next day and just rinse and repeat and you could just keep going. And there's always like... A reason to to get up and and do the next day you know you're waiting for something to grow or waiting for something to refresh or you'd have like another chance to explore the caves or, or whatever i remember once when i was away taking a conference with the church in wales and i was sat in a dorm room in lampeter university and i played through an entire year of stardew valley deep into the night slightly regretting it the next day but also <laughs> not really to be honest it was it was just great back then i was playing the game on my laptop and i also took that with me when I went on holiday to Austria with my friend Steve and we were staying in this incredibly beautiful apartment with the most amazing view of the Austrian mountains and I just sat there playing Stardew Valley like pretty much constantly for for a couple of weeks whenever you know we weren't out walking or exploring and it was such an idyllic experience it was just oh it was lovely I believe that Steve had a similar experience, but if I remember rightly, he was playing Civilization V, I think. <laughs> and I remember I called it a night one night, got into bed, continued to reread my way through the Harry Potter books, which was my other Austrian activity, had a solid 10 hours sleep, got up the next day. Steve had literally not moved from his chair, still playing Civ V. Apparently, I checked in with him earlier, and he reckons he played it for 36 hours straight. I don't know if that's true or not, but it was. it, it wouldn't surprise me. It was... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was grimy. It was grubby. Grubby. I can't remember exactly where I got to uh, in, in the game when I was playing it back then. Steam tells me I clocked 58 hours on it, so it must have been, you know, quite far. But I, I, I guess, you know, when I came back from my holiday and went back to work, I, I didn't quite have the time to invest in it quite as much, and it probably dropped off my radar a bit. But I did eventually find my way back to it, and it was actually when I was out in America for Minty's wedding a couple of years ago. And... I saw it was on sale on iOS on my iPhone for a couple of quids and I thought oh that would be really fun to, to pick up and, and play it again. However it was not fun because controlling it with a touchscreen was not good at all especially for someone like me who likes to plant their crops quite precisely <laughs> but I'd sort of geared myself up to get back into the game and fortunately for me it was actually on sale at that time on the Nintendo eShop as well so I bought it for the Switch and then clocked another 55 hours on it and had a fantastic time doing all of it again and exploring all the new content that they'd added into the game since my first playthrough and it's because progressing through this game was just incredibly satisfying it was a very satisfying experience it had the relaxing nature of something like Animal Crossing but with the relentless amount of content that you would find in like a massive open world game and the little ways you could sort of chart your progress was was lovely, especially restoring the community centre in the village. To do this, you had to like complete several different like parcels or, or, or groups of things that would be categorized into a, a few different areas. Bundles, that's it. 
so there were half a dozen like fish bundles for example and to complete like the river fish one you had to get like the six different fish that tended to live in rivers and you would have to catch them all over the four seasons and and then you'd complete that bundle or to complete like the farm goods one you'd have to get two different types of milk and two different types of eggs and some wool or, or, or whatever or the baking bundle you had to like make five different desserts or something through crafting and it was it was just it was lovely with every bundle and every set of bundles you'd get like a little reward and that was it was just lovely to work your way through and and it made you excited to get to the next season to see what you could get there to to chip away a, a little bit more I haven't revisited the game since the multiplayer update has come out on the Switch, but I know that it's meant to be absolutely brilliant, so maybe at some point I, I may get the itch to farm again, and then I'll, I mean, I'll happily dive back in and, and, and see what's there. But yeah, Stardew Valley, it's just an entirely blissful and idyllic gaming experience, and one that, I, I mean, I think everyone should play, and pretty much everyone can, as it's available on literally everything, and it is just wonderful. I want to play it. I, I did want to play it properly. Have you never played it? I've I've played the first hour or two on the on the PlayStation Four when it first got a port. Yeah. And at the time, the reason I didn't put more time in was it was rumored it was like well, there's going to be a cross cross platform version on the Vita soon. Okay. And and I thought oh the Vita that'd be so much better. Yeah. And it it did come out, but not for another like six eight months maybe it was a long time. Yeah. And by that time I'd kind of just moved on and, and forgotten about it really. Yeah. So no, I, it's not one I've ever put time into because I I never had like access to a computer that I could sit down and play it on when it was PC only. Yeah. And then I, I kind of missed the boat when it came to consoles in a weird way. So I don't know. It's on a list. All these things are on a list for me to play one day. It's a lovely, lovely fit for the Switch, yeah. I must say. And I think it would be great on the Vita as well. It's lovely to play it handheld. Yeah. Really, really nice. So um, yeah, I would definitely encourage you to, to pick it up at some point. Mm. You played it quite recently, didn't you, Minty? You were playing it on the Switch. I did, yeah. I, I played it towards the arse end of last year. Like you said, it's one of those cross-platform games that I always regret only having Nintendo to play it on because you miss out on all the wonderful things that the modding community is doing because you don't have it on, on the PC and you miss out on all the latest updates because you don't have it on the PS4. I think it only updated to version 1.4 with all the 14 heart events in January on the Switch. But, you know, that, that, that didn't really matter to me because I stopped playing once uh, my wife got upset with me trying to actually marry people in the village. So. <laughs> <laughs> you bloody adulterer. That's, yeah, that's it. <laughs> You're cheating on me with somebody who isn't even real. <laughs> so, moving on, shall we go to Minty? Minty Booth. Can you please tell us about your 40th favourite video game of all time? It's weird to think that most video games basically demand that in order to win, you need to walk right as far as you can. <laughs> Single screen flash puzzle games. Racing games where the courses go clockwise. Yeah. The first half of a game of FIFA. <laughs> the list goes on. <laughs> I think the simplicity and the efficiency of the old school games we've grown to love and then realise aren't that good, especially when there's a meagre selection on your online subscription, when competitors are offering a full-blown AAA title every month, is astounding. Look at the NES. Two buttons and a D-pad. Run, jump and maybe punch. Or swing a sword here and there. Uh, look at arcade games. My local pub has an arcade cabinet with two sets of four buttons and a joystick and I think... 2000 arcade games on it all the 2d platformers fighters and shmups or shrites 
you could ever want. I mean, there isn't a huge amount of scope for really ridiculous movement tech, like Bayonetta or the like, but the limitations of both the hardware and the controls produce some really strong gaming experiences and really tight game design. My game this week takes that sense of efficiency and creates possibly one of the finest modern examples of doing more with less. The goal is over there, here's what you need to get past, time it right and we'll celebrate with a firework. Super Mario 3D World. <laughs> oh, it's a tasty game. If somebody asked me, what Mario game should I play to gain a deep, almost carnal understanding of the series, I would consider buying them a Wii U in this game for at least 15 seconds before just loading up a video for no money. <laughs> it's the quintessential Mario game. It takes everything that makes and has made the Mario series great over the past 30 years and just elevates the experience. It controls really well, the levels are varied and really well designed, the music is fantastic, it's got a really nice, uh, relaxing, almost pillowy aesthetic <laughs> it introduces one new core gameplay mechanic and really leans into it the uh, the cat suit which uh, has my favorite little bit of mario trivia shigeru miyamoto when he was uh, making this game said uh, we wanted to we wanted to explore the idea of mario uh, crawling up walls and the cat suit came about because the animation of him actually climbing up walls made us uncomfortable <laughs> 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 it references nearly every single Mario game up to this point and makes you think, ah, oh, they, yeah, they, yeah, they knew they were onto something 20 years ago with that game. That's it's glad to see it back and fully realised. Uh, so I made a quick list. So in Mario 1, uh, the flagpole. Yeah. Mario 2, characters with different speeds and jump heights. Mario 3, pretty sick overworlds. Super <laughs> Mario World had the nice uh, Star World post-game levels. Mario 64 had revisiting level formats with a new twist. Super Mario Sunshine. Couldn't really think of anything for this one apart from a really <laughs> lovely sort of summary feel. And obviously, of course, uh, Mario being in it. And then in Mario Galaxy, the secret character in 3D World has a spin jump. And there are also green stars to collect. And attacked on hardware gimmick. Because it's a Nintendo game. It's one of those games that you can beat in an afternoon. But it also takes several months to really complete. The levels are fun and good, and you can blast through them and feel like a really sick lad. <laughs> also, every level has three green stars that also act as in-game currency to unlock more levels. And there's also a stamp that you can use to make cool designs to post on Miiverse. God rest its greasy little soul. <laughs> there's just so much to do in this game. I beat it as Luigi the first time around. And then went back as Toad, beat every level again, then Mario, then Peach. And I beat every level by jumping on the top of the flagpole to get the gold flag on the overworld. And then they unlocked the post-game secret character and beat every level with, spoiler alert, her. <laughs> <gasps> They're fantastic. They're kind of that best kind of batshit DLC, even though they were just there in the game to begin with. But they took everything you've learnt over the entirety of the game up to that point and said, Haha, what if we did this? Uh, what, I don't know, what if the flagpole ran away as you were trying to jump on it? <laughs> it's also a game so good that its side levels spawned a spin-off. Oh, yeah. Captain Toad Treasure Tracker. That was great as well. And then there was Champions Road, the real final boss of the game. Just a relentless gauntlet of platforming set pieces mashed together like threefold to ramp up the difficulty that it was obviously it was a bullshit level, but it, it never got to the point where you're like, well, I'm just gonna trade this in and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bother. I've beaten the game, I've beaten Bowser, I've beaten Meowser, which was a, another fantastic development in the series. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, I 
I nearly got to the top of this this sort of wall jumping bit with also the big ants that kill you as soon as you touch them. I nearly uh, beat the bit where you have to collect five keys to open the lock, but there is also those things that make the big laser rings come out. It always just tempted you with being able to see the next part of the level. Every set piece was so small and so compact and so uh, efficiently designed that you were never like, well, I'm never going to get to the end of this. No, no, I can see the end of this. It's over there. And it's got Plessy, the plesiosaur, waving at me, being like, hey, you can do it, come on over. Stacks of coins, all the toads being like, you've done it, well done. Yeah, just, whoa, what a fantastic game. What a joyful game this was. Super Mario 3D World, loved it. When I was doing my teacher training, it was a tough year. I've, I've mentioned a few times, like it was, a, it was a difficult time. And a few games came out in that sort of calendar year that made things okay. Mm. <laughs> and and this was one of those games. Like I've mentioned before, the New Leaf, when Animal Crossing came out on the 3DS, that was one of those pillars as well. But 3D World, as well as Mario Kart 8, I think the DLC came out during that year as well for, for that game. And they were all such bright, like, like you say, like joyful experiences and they made doing hard stuff okay again. <laughs> it, it was like, it really was like the perfect counterpoint to having like a really, really tough day, but then knowing that there was something bright and colourful and, in, you know, just warm, uh, like a real nice embrace to have at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah, 3D World is, is fantastic. It's, it's great. And another game in the Wii U that so few people have played and I really hope that we do get that that switch port soon that's been in the in the rumor mill for years it feels like now yeah yeah I'm, I'm gutted that I never got the experience to properly play it I remember playing a little bit of it with you Minty but I'd love to give it the the time that it, it absolutely I'm sure deserves and then some so lastly it's Chris hello can you please tell us about your 40th favorite video game of all time please of course I would love to I've mentioned in today's episode but also in last week's episode that I've had kind of a a lack of motivation to play games properly at the moment outside of things like Animal Crossing Tetris you know small little experiences like I mentioned on the Vita today and as a result I, I feel like I may end up selling what I profess to be my 40th favourite video game a little bit short. It's a big game, and it's one that I haven't played through fully since its initial release, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And I had every intention of giving this a full playthrough, like I mentioned last week, that I bought its remastered version about two months ago. I looked at my list and I thought, okay, well, I've got about eight, nine weeks from now until I have to talk about this, and that's plenty of time to just, you know, truck away each week and get it done. Easy peasy. First week, I I played it for sort of 10 or so hours, loved it, thought, yeah, this is going to be great. I'm going to go through this whole thing again. It's going to be fresh in my mind. I'm really going to really going to be able to talk it up. And then in about week two or three, uh, society as we know it just crumbled (laughs) and then everything fell apart. (laughs) So by by that week, uh, you know, my job and my daily routine had had dissipated to, to nothing almost. I couldn't see loved ones. And perversely, like I mentioned, like gaming just became... A safe activity to do because we're, we're instructed to you know stay at home do what we can but I just lost enthusiasm and whereas if I was Minty who is the absolute champion of, of retelling enough of a game story and lore to make you really feel immersed in its setting and, and make you feel like you're sat next to its cast of characters I think my memory of this game is going to be a little bit hazy in places I, I might get certain bits of it wrong I'm not really sure but I'll, I'll do my best at least to, to kind of sell why I think this is worth playing Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch, that's a bit of a tongue twister, is is my number 40. Ah. It is a sprawling RPG made in collaboration between Level 5 of Fantasy Life and Yokai Watch and Professor Layton fame and the animation team at Studio Ghibli. 
and it is a remarkable project it, it really is something like i'm i'm not really an rpg guy I, i've said a fair few times before that the time commitment needed to sort of take on the role of playing something epic is something i find quite daunting and the way that I jump between games in, in sort of a scattergun style a lot of the time means that I just don't always have the focus for an RPG to really hit it hard. But when I when I got Nino Kuni on the PS3, I found it just intoxicating from the word go. I was drawn in initially by it having this Ghibli setting and whimsy, but it did lots of other things outside of this kind of styling that really drew me in where other RPGs had kind of failed or that I'd struggled with. So Nino Kuni is it's stereotypically good like it is a good game it's got elements of of sort of pokemon in its familiar system it's got a battle system somewhere between traditional turn-based strategy and the more sort of action-led hybrid combat of of kingdom hearts it's really really gorgeous and that goes for whether you play it in 4k in its recent port to modern consoles whether you play it handheld on the switch on the ps3 like i did originally or even on the very different but still very fun DS original that I played a chunk of via a fan translation some point last year. But it also does things to kind of draw in a player like me who wouldn't necessarily jump at the idea of playing a massive JRPG. So it has very gentle pacing, which might have been like a massive turnoff for some people, but really, really helped for me. So for some, that might mean that you get quite wound up by sort of the drip feed of relatively simple mechanics for the first five or six hours. But for me, that made it very digestible that it was something that I, I didn't forget what was going on, I didn't forget what I was supposed to be doing or which mechanics were, were kind of being introduced. And it wasn't like the constant barrage of sort of tricky, layered, interlocking stuff and systems that's in something like Xenoblade. It was more an approach where things just felt gently additive and I always knew what I should be doing, I knew what I could do next, I knew what was coming and it, it just it structured quite nicely, I think, for someone like me at least. It also, in its side quests, they were kind of chunked almost like fantasy life And I think you feel kind of the level five input there because several can be active at once. Sometimes you might just stumble upon the resolution or or sometimes it might be more purposefully, but there was no penalty either way. You could kind of solve these things and, and work things out just as and when. I think some of the best qualities, though, do come from the wrapping that Studio Ghibli applies. And my favourite Ghibli films are the ones I've seen, because I'm, I'm not the film buff that you are, Jonathan. <laughs> but they're the ones that take a very human situation or a very human feeling, but pass it through a sort of filter of magical realism. So like some of the ones I, I really love are like My Neighbour Totoro, oh, for yeah. example, is built on, on the very simple human feeling that comes with just change and upheaval. So the the protagonist in that moves to a new house, a new location, and all of the creatures that they sort of come to interact with, although presented as real, are likely meant to be kind of like that physical manifestation of them coping with this change. Yeah. And and similarly, in something like Spirited Away, it manages to build this incredible fantasy world that seems to run parallel to sort of our human realm. But all of this is definitely a means for kind of the lead character to process ideas of personal responsibility or, or human greed or misplaced motivations, and, and even like environmentalism. There's a lot going on in that film. And it's one that can be picked apart from every angle, though can also be enjoyed as just a sumptuous animated fantasy. And I think Nino Kuni is no different, really. Like in, in the first half an hour of the game, your lead character, Oliver, has to process the death of his own mother. And I think it's something that he feels very much like personally responsible for. And I don't think it's a massive stretch that then the game itself is its overarching message it to sort of mend the brokenhearted is a means for Oliver to process that sense of guilt. And as with any of their films, I think there's lots of incidental characters and events which may feed back into this human narrative directly or indirectly. But the story keeps that link to Oliver's mother going throughout its whole runtime. 
And although the pacing naturally isn't as tight as a 90-minute you know, animated feature film, I think Ghibli's story guidance is, is present throughout the whole experience and it really makes it a better game for it. The game also features some of the best comedic voice work I've heard in any game to date. <laughs> yeah. So, like, Oliver is accompanied by Drippy, the Lord High Lord of the Fairies, through the majority of the story. And the localization team's choice to rewrite Drippy's dialogue with thick Welsh colloquialisms. And then having cast Stefan Rodri, fresh off his Harry Potter fame, to deliver it, I think was really, really inspired. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a constant treat throughout the game and my only real criticism for the whole game is that the title has kind of this weird jump between voice scenes and unvoiced scenes which which often happens in in jrpgs just basically through budget constraints but i think it's particularly frustrating here because when it is voiced it's so so good that when it then drops back to kind of just like a text scene i always just want that bit more i have to as well give a, a special shout out to one scene in particular in the game though that doesn't even feature drippy but does have two other fairies called smiley and surly do a like a stand-up comedy routine in the style of like Abbott and Costello. Oh, yeah. And it genuinely makes me laugh out loud every time I watch it. Like I watched it back <laughs> this morning just to kind of remind myself of the scene. But it's really well written. It's really well delivered. And again, it's just, it's a game that has such nice writing and really playful localization throughout that it just, yeah, I'm a massive fan. I, I think it's great. The last thing I want to mention about this game as well is the original game I bought in a Wizards edition. It was called like a big box edition on the PS3. The Wizards edition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I don't often get swept up in kind of buying big expensive collector's editions. Like I spend loads of money on limited print games and other kind of silly stuff like that, but not often like the full extended packages of these things. And Nino Kuni came packaged with uh, like odds and sods, like some DLC codes that was nothing special. It came with a little drippy plush toy which was quite nice. Aww. But most importantly, it had a full recreation of the game's Wizard's Companion book that oh, you refer lovely. to again and again throughout the story. And it was like a proper hardbound 200-odd page book that included all of the spells, all of the lore, all of the information on the game's kind of bestiary and everything else. And it's just it's everything you could want from a tie-in item. It's such a nice piece that, it, again, it just smacks of how much care went into the proper localization of this game. Yeah. Like, it took, I think, almost three years to make it from Japan to the West... And these extras really go a long way in showing why it was such a slow process. So yeah, even if I didn't get a chance to replay it fully, it still holds up. Like the, the first chunk I did manage to play, I really thoroughly enjoyed. And it is therefore my 40th favourite video game, being an RPG, shock horror, that uh, I like an awful lot. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful game. As, as you know, obviously I played through yeah. it recently for the first time when it was released on the Switch and it was a lovely fit for, for playing it on a handheld and yeah, it's gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. It's just absolutely drenched in charm and that sort of sunshiny joy. What are your favourite Ghibli films? My favourite Ghibli films? Uh, My Neighbour Totoro. Yeah. Laputa, Castle in the Sky and probably Princess Mononoke. Hmm. Oh, that's a good one as well. I could have mentioned that as well. Mm. What about you, Minty? Do you have any faves? My favourite Studio Ghibli film is, incidentally, the only Studio Ghibli film I've ever seen, <laughs> Spirited Away. It is good. Yeah, it is ab- absolutely fantastic. Yeah, we were going to watch every single one because they got put on Netflix, didn't they? Yeah. And then uh, Mrs Minty got deported. So <laughs> Again, of... I shouldn't laugh at these things. I'm laughing at the wrong times today. Put, that's not appropriate. I've to those plans, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that's something that we can start up again. Yeah, they're still on Netflix. Yeah. We should start up a little Studio Ghibli film film club yeah. and watch our way through them. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. Mm. Have you have you played Nino Kuni, Minty? No, but I did watch John play about an hour of the Nino Kuni remaster here and there. 
Yeah. I think, yes, yes, you're spot on with the voice acting, like, especially that little custard fella being like, Holly <laughs> Yeah. Got to find your queen of the fairies we have. <laughs> and all that nonsense. Did you play the second one, Chris? No, it's it's on my shelf. Mm. Again, it was in the back of my head. I was like, well, I'll finish the first one. Then in a few months, I'll, I'll start yeah. on the second. It's nice. I, I've enjoyed what I have played of the second one, but there is a real sort of strategic element to it as well because you're in in amongst of the actual sort of core adventure you're also rebuilding a kingdom and commanding like forces in battles and stuff it reminded me a bit of um do you remember dragon force on the saturn oh yeah that's a deep cut yeah <laughs> uh yeah and i'll be honest it, i didn't enjoy it that much and it, it started to bug me the fact that i knew there was this whole other side of the game that i wasn't kind of keeping up with which is is a shame because i really like the sort of the core game mm. I've, I've got it still downstairs so I, I may well jump back into it at some point give it another go but there we go Nino Cooney, what a lovely game. And to your credit, I think you did do it justice. <laughs> Thank you. So, there we have it. Another three games. First of all, we had Stardew Valley. Before then, we had... Super Mario 3D World. And finally, we had... Nino Cooney, Wrath of the White Witch. Fantastic. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do find us on social media, share the podcast with your friends. You can find us on Facebook if you go to facebook.com forward slash hour three cents. You can chat to us there. You can talk to us about any games you like. You can take us to task in our opinion on these or you can even ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode you can find us individually as well if you go on to twitter you can find me at jonathan dunn you can find me as always at chaz underscore hodges and i am clement underscore and please do check out our youtube channel subscribe to that and check out the videos that we're doing and if you really really like what we're doing then do head over to patreon.com forward slash our three cents and have a look at what we're doing over there and pledge away but for now we'll say goodbye and i do hope that you join us next time as we delve into the 30s with our 39th favorite video games of all time they say with age comes wisdom well over here at the cartridge family we only have one question who are they join three imperfect dads as they juggle kids wives and jobs while indulging in their favorite hobby playing video games the cartridge family a greenlit network podcast hey chris what's the war rocket ajax podcast about well matt if we were smart it'd be about murders but it's actually about comics war rocket ajax it's not about murders but it is weekly on the greenlit podcast network